Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market You're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. Sons of the Shoe is back. It's just me, Spencer German, riding solo with you. Nick Wilson is out gallivanting around the fine city of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, so I hope he's enjoying himself. But in the meantime, I don't want to miss a beat. I want to keep this conversation going with you twice a week. And so here we are back with you, or here I am back with you as uh, we inch closer and closer to the spring game. I know everyone's got that circled on their calendar, April 13th. We're in March, so we're only a week away, or a week. We're only a month away now. Sorry. It's been a long week, so all my days are blurring together. But we are only about a month away from the spring game, a month and a couple weeks so that's obviously exciting stuff, and I'm excited to talk all things Ohio State, all things college football with you on this latest episode of Sons of the Shoe. I want to remind you guys, as we are still, I would say, a new podcast. We just started in the fall to like, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast, the Odyssey app, 92tothefan.com, uh, Apple, Sp- Apple Podcast, Spotify, whatever it might be, as always, too, please, please, please. Comment on the 92 Through the Fan YouTube page. We appreciate those interactions. We do try our best to respond and interact with you guys there. So you're more than welcome to join the conversation as well on that platform. But where I want to start today is kind of where we left off with the last episode in relation to Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I have I, I want to explain some things about some comments that we did actually have on the YouTube page. Shout out to those of you who did respond two episodes ago. And then we got some other things to hit on, including the idea of a a world that exists without the NCAA as an organization in it. Can that actually happen? I'm going to lay it all out for you. That could be coming up second segment. But to start us off, like I said, Marvin Harrison Jr., I we had talked on Tuesday about this idea that he wasn't going to be doing any drills. I actually thought he wasn't showing up at all. He did show up, did the interviews with teams. And I do think – 
having been out in Indianapolis myself, the most important thing that comes out of the combine for any team is those interviews. And I understand like every year you get these goofy questions about like, what's in your refrigerator and what does your mom do for a living? And it's like all these different weird things um, that they try to kind of just see, I guess, how, how you answer and how you react in real time to a question like that. Goofy, goofy stuff can happen at these things, but that is primarily what I think a lot of the teams are present for. It's what a lot of the teams are trying to kind of prioritize in terms of meeting these players, seeing how they could potentially fit with your team because you're supposed to go out there and get a sense of where guys could fit and be in within your organization. Um, so he was there for that. He didn't speak to the media either. Um, and he's not doing the drills. Now, what, what's interesting about this, because first of all, for Marvin Harrison Jr.'s sake, he has more to lose from being out there than he does to gain. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a freak of nature wide receiver athlete. I have stood by the stance, and I will I'll say this here on this podcast. This will be like the fourth or fifth platform I think I've said this on. Marvin Harrison Jr., if I haven't said it already, I might have. We've done so many episodes, I lose track of all my takes. But um, Marvin Harrison Jr., when he gets drafted in April, will instantly – be a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. I th- That is not hyperbole. That is not over-exaggeration. Like, I truly believe that when he gets drafted, he is going to be that star-level player, elite talent at the wide receiver position, um, and, and, and he's going to be comparable to some of his, his um, contemporaries that are already in the league at this point including some of those who are Ohio State guys that he's going to certainly be stacked up against and um, compared to and all these different things. So that is how talented I think he is. And so him going to Indy for the important thing of of meeting with teams, but skipping all the events, not meeting with the media, that stuff doesn't bother me. Like I, I am not in the least concerned about him not showing up to those types of things because frankly, guys, if he tears an ACL, if he gets hurt, again, he has more to lose than he has to gain. And not every player can do that, which is why I, I think there's interesting conversations had about the combine year after year and whether or not it's kind of this, this uh, archaic thing that we don't really need anymore because the tape is the most important. And that should be the that should be the standard. I'm assuming NFL scouting departments know that better than even I do. I don't work in a scouting department for a living, so it's not my job to assess these guys at a level where I'm deciding – yeah, I'm, I, this guy's going to be a hit for us. He's going to he's going to work on our team. I can I, I do some of that, but it's not my 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 profession. So no, like I, me sitting here saying that shouldn't be groundbreaking because that should be already established in the NFL that the tape is what matters most, and that if if you're banking th- anything other than I guess some of the athleticism and traits that you're you're looking at while you're at the combine and and you're letting that kind of tell the story of a guy. Unless they really bomb an interview and you just think they're not going to be they're, they're a bad dude for your for your team, I, like I I can't really take much away from the combine, but I don't think that means the combine goes away, because there are players that the combine helps. Braden Fisk, for example, out of Florida State, he had the best interior defensive lineman day you could have in drills on 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 Thursday. I was sitting there watching him. He had the best 40 time of those guys. He had the best broad jump. He had the best uh, high jump. So, like, he put up some numbers that are going to help his draft stock. 
He might have not been the consensus number one defensive lineman off the board. He still might not be, but he's probably now going to be talked about in a different category because he put up some big numbers. But he's a player who he he wasn't going into the draft sort of considered this just high level of elite talent that that you can't miss on. You know what I mean? So I don't think the combine's ever going away, but I think that players like Marvin Harrison Jr. And even Caleb Williams, because Caleb Williams talked on Friday just about why he didn't do medicals. And he didn't, and, and I think it makes sense for a guy who's probably going to be off the board within 10 minutes um, of the draft opening to not put yourself out there to get just dissected every inch of you um, by ev- all 32 teams so that they can find something wrong with you and then spin that into some narrative or story. Like, just show up, do what you got to do, and, and get out of there. That, that's the reason why he's not throwing. It's the reason why other quarterbacks aren't going to be throwing in the combine, which is is going on um, on on Saturday at, as as of recording this. So I, I just I'm I am uh, I'm I'm less interested in some of the stuff that goes on at the combine, and I can understand why it seems like maybe it's not needed. But it's only the the there is a very small group of players that can avoid skipping drills that can avoid not doing the interviews that can avoid not doing that stuff. Marvin Harrison, Jr. Caleb Williams. There's others who are lumped into that, that, uh, that, that it, 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 it doesn't really matter for, and that those guys have already established themselves as the talents that they're going to be. So they're just, it, I, I don't think that they have to show up. Now that could be the trend that continues, but I don't think the combine just arbitrarily disappears altogether. And I thought about this because I, every year you hear there's more momentum on more momentum on guys just kind of sticking with the pro days and, you know, trying to just kind of in their own comfortable environment with the team that they played for in college, doing the same exact stuff that they're supposed to do with the combine. I'm not saying that. And maybe we get to a point where that just becomes what it is. It's just going to to these uh, pro days and you interview all the players that you want to interview there, whatever. But the problem is a lot of these pro days overlap. So you don't have time to get to every single one. This is a chance to get all these guys in uh, in one place and be able to kind of organize and talk to them, which is why, again, I don't think it ever truly goes away. Um, there's a select few number of players who can do it. Marvin Harrison Jr. and other guys are doing where they don't have to show up, but they don't have to be there, and it's not going to impact their draft stock all that much. But for the rest of this 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 group of players that are out there in Indy, it matters. And and so you 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 can't you're not going to see that from everybody. And um, yeah, there's there's certainly some value in it. But again, it shouldn't be the end-all, be-all as these guys go to the NFL. But but there's been some impressive performances to this point. Those will continue throughout the weekend. Um, but it, as far as – I think there was somebody who tried to spin the Marvin Harrison Jr. thing, as I expected, because there's always one person. And listen, I, I make a living being a talking head, talking sports, uh, whether it's on this podcast, on the radio, whatever. And I certainly come out with some fiery takes at times. But – the you you will find somebody on an island if their take is Marvin Harrison Jr. not showing up to to the NFL Combine is a reason not to draft him. There are legitimate reasons not to draft players that maybe you feel like aren't going to put in the work and and that maybe you you learn about at the Combine that they're it, it's a scene from the the movie Draft Day, right? Why didn't anybody show up to your party, Bo Callahan? Well. Uh, he wasn't really liked by his teammates, something along those lines. Like maybe that's the type of stuff you find out. Maybe you realize that guy's not a fit, but not showing up to the combine because you have quite literally already proven to everybody that you should be the consensus number one wide receiver off the board. 
is a nothing burger to me. So don't be that guy. I think there already was a guy, and I hope that person's on an island and nobody agrees with him because there's no chance in hell that Marvin Harrison Jr.'s draft stock should be impacted in any way whatsoever by him not showing up. And I do think what's interesting about what Marvin Harrison is doing is this concept of prepping for um, the the season that he'll play his rookie year rather than just working out for teams. That is a concept that I find fascinating because there's been studies done on just the grueling grind that players coming out of college go through to get to the NFL in their rookie season. You're talking about your season ends, you spend months training, you go to the combine and work out. You're training some more, you do your pro day. You're training some more as you meet with teams and going through these rigorous workouts. Then you get drafted. Then you got the rookie program. Then you got OTAs. Then you got mini camp. Then you got training camp. Then your season starts, and it's a longer season than you're used to playing in college, and you're off and running, and there's it's the reason why they sometimes see rookies don't put up the big numbers or they don't necessarily – come in and and perform at a high level or it takes them a couple years to get there because these players go through this grind, this, this gauntlet of a, of a process to get to the NFL. And so I think it's actually super smart by Marvin Harrison jr. And I hope that other star players are able to follow suit like that um, moving forward. Again, not everybody has the luxury of doing that, but I hope that Marvin Harrison jr. Does set a trend that some of these star studded players, they don't need to necessarily go through the grind that the NFL puts them through at every step of the way, if they've already established themselves where they feel comfortable and, and where you they, they know they're going to be going at a, in a certain range or at a certain point in the draft, fine. Train for the season because that is way more important to any of these teams than what you're going to run in, in the 40-yard dash at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Um, so that is the trend I hope does does kind of continue to happen. Is that other star? And, and this isn't, I understand. There's a lot of people out there who are very, well, if he can't play in a bowl game or you can't do these workouts, like it just tells me that you're lazy and blah, 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 blah. I, I understand that's going to be a take for some people. That's not my stance on it. I, 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 if, if a player has the luxury of not being, not having to go through this, this rigorous process, they shouldn't. And they should be preparing for the next season. It's the same thing I say about the players who skip bowl games. I understand what they're doing. They got too much on the line. They got too much at stake. They have a chance to go to the pros and make life-changing money. And I know people are going to throw back in your face that they can make life-changing money in NIL and all this different stuff. But the difference is like that money can be gone in a second. If you get hurt, I don't know how all these NIL things work, but a lot of times we've, we've seen instances of players being promised things that they're not actually promised. So this, it's a different situation. It's a chance to go pro. I don't fault anybody who skips different things, or whether it's a bowl game, whether it's the combine or whatever. And this should absolutely not be any sort of indictment, if you will, on Marvin Harrison Jr., on Caleb Williams, on Drake May, on any of these guys who are deciding not to participate in certain portions of the scouting combine. Now, before we go to break, I want to rewind actually back to uh, two shows ago where we talked about the announcement of the the new playoff uh, 12 team playoff and how basically Notre Dame is going to only ever be able to be the, the five seed at the highest. And the reason for that is they agreed to this, this, uh, this new form format where it's 12 teams 
Um, and it's your your conference winners, your top four conference winners get the buys, so they can never get a buy was the point of the conversation. And we had some people comment, and I want to clarify. The titling of the, the clip I put out there, the individual clip, sorry, not sorry, Notre Dame, that was just to kind of catch your attention. And I got some people commenting, so I'm happy with my work. Chef's kiss to me. I uh, I did a beautiful job trying to draw people in with a controversial title to the to that episode. But I do want to clarify, like, I understood that that was what ND agreed to and that Jack Swarbrick, basically, he knew going in that that was what, what the situation was going to be for Notre Dame, that they agreed to that because they're not ever going to play a 13th game because they can't play in a conference championship game. So I, I want to make it clear, like, we already understood that this was an agreed-to thing. It wasn't us being stupid and just being like, wow, I can't believe it. But the point of the conversation was just that I understand that there's a lot of fans out there who know that this was an agreed-to thing. Certainly informed fans will. And there's also going to be plenty of of, uh, of people who are okay with it and say like, okay, it, it's what we agreed to, fine. We don't play a 13th game because we're not in a conference, fine. But the point of the conversation was there's going to be a year where maybe that first time it happens where Notre Dame fans are left holding the bag and because they feel like their team got slighted and got left out of the top four even though they're undefeated and maybe we're three and then they drop down and they're five, even if they just for being idle for a week. And there's going to be some group of fans out there that didn't know it was a thing. That's all I'm trying to say. There's going to be people who didn't know it was a thing and they're going to be outraged when it happens. There always is. Everybody understands the process of the four team playoff. And then every year we were mad about something like they get to pick the teams, whether we like it or not. So if you're upset about it, you're upset about it. That's what you agreed to. It's the same thing. They agreed to it. Yes. But there will be fans who don't understand that and who get outraged the first time Notre Dame gets out, left out of that top four, and they don't have a bye week. So I just wanted to clarify that. I also think the main point of the conversation was just what this means for Notre Dame in terms of will it entice them a little bit more to potentially join a conference at some point, which I think, given how the landscape's changing, I, I don't think it's going to last forever that Notre Dame can't be in a conference. At some point, the money involved in these TV deals that the, the two, I guess, big conferences that are forming – are going to get is going to be too much for them to pass up where they'll just join a conference and they'll, they'll get a piece of the pie. That's my, my true, true feelings on it. All right. With that said, we need to take a break. When we get back, can you envision a world where the NCAA doesn't exist? It might not be as great as you think it is. We'll do that next here on sons of the shoe, but quickly here we pause for a word from our sponsors. Back with you on Sons of the Shoes, Spencer German with you, riding solo for this second episode of the week, if you will. And uh, there's some interesting things happening in the NCAA right now from a legal standpoint. I want to get to that, but since we ended re, uh, revisiting, if you will, the 12-team playoff format, I do want to talk about this idea as the NCAA has been meeting this week about the possibility of expanding to 14 teams because, listen, this whole thing, they didn't listen to us as fans of college football when they expanded the playoff. We all said six. I said eight because I thought eight was perfect. And that current stru- at the at the structure of the NCAA of college football at that time, you had five power five conferences. Okay, you win your conference, you get an auto bid, you're in. 
and then you hand out three at-large bids. So that gives you room for the Cincinnati's of the world or the the top the next top ranked like um non-power five conference winner to get in or something like that. And then then you settle those debates about well, should two SEC teams get in? Should two Big Ten teams get in? And you're able to sort of sort through those things and put a couple different teams in, and you're off and you're running as eight teams. Because listen, as much as I love more college football, I also can wrap my head around the idea that there's only so many teams in any given season that truly have a chance to win a national championship, like truly, truly have a chance. Now, maybe the landscape changed, you know, all the NIL stuff changes that a little bit more, expands things out. There's more parity. That's the hope, I think. So maybe we get to a point where that's true. But in this, but, but I, I've, I stand by what I said. Like, there's generally only a few teams that you can go into the season and feel like, okay, those teams all have a chance. This past year, season started, we all said, if Ohio State gets a good quarterback play, they could be one. We said Michigan was loaded. They were coming back for another a, a, a third year of this kind of very deep team that that or that uh, Jim Harbaugh had built. That's another one. Uh, we said Georgia. We said Bama because Bama's Bama, and they're always right there in the conversation. And they made the playoffs, so they did have a chance. Um, and there was a few other stragglers. People really liked uh, uh, FSU. People thought maybe LSU could come along, but their defense was putrid. So, there, but there's like a handful of teams. So I always thought eight was enough. That was what we really asked for in the beginning was six or eight. Now, not only did they blaze past 12 or blaze past eight to get to 12, which fine. Okay. More college football. 12 is, I I can still understand 12 might be getting a little bit too much, but I can understand 12. It it expands the field. It allows you to sort some of these things out and truly answer the questions about who are the best teams in the country. I can wrap my head around it. I'm not going to dispute it. It, I'm, 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 I'm okay with it. I've embraced it. I've accepted it. And I like 12. And I honestly thought 12 was going to be enough. I was like, let's stick with 12 for a while. And, and by a while, I mean, maybe, maybe my entire lifetime. I love the idea of 12 teams making the playoff. And that's how we decide a national champion in college football. But now, before we even get to see the 12 team playoff in execution, we're already talking about 14. I mean, what the hell is going on? How can we already be talking about 14 teams when we haven't even seen the 12 team playoff work? We haven't even seen what it looks like yet. That's mind-boggling to me. That I can't wrap my head around. I am not for a 14-team playoff before we even see the 12-team playoff. And I understand at this point, like, fans asked for eight. We didn't get it. I think this is the thing. They just don't want to listen. The comfortable playoff committee just doesn't want to listen to the fans at all. They just want to do it their own way so that they look like the geniuses. Because we all said four was not going to be enough, and then that proved to be true. And now we're saying 12 is probably the 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 end the high the higher end that you could go to and they're talking about 14. I mean what are we going to do? Are we just going to keep expanding this thing? Is it going to become the NCAA tournament for basketball where we have 64 teams all make it out of the 133 that exist in college football and they're all going to duke it out for a national championship? UMass versus Georgia to start things off. Let's get it. Let's see how that works out. Like come on. I, I'm not saying eventually it wouldn't go to 14. Because I understand at the end of the day, and this is why we never, this is why none of us could understand in the first place why they wouldn't go to 12 initially. And, and, and what's funny, I don't want to take credit for this because there's no way they were listening to Spencer German in Cleveland, Ohio to figure out how this thing was going to set up. But I said years ago to make it eight and use the other, use the top end name bowls as your 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 sort of set your your quarterfinals your semifinals whatever as you lead your way to the national championship game 
And that's exactly what they're doing with the 12 team playoff. It's you win in the first round. And then that next round is all the big games, the Rose bowl, the cotton bowl, all those different things will sort of appear in that next round and, and finish out through the rest of the playoffs till you get to the national championship game. So, okay. Uh, basically you're welcome NCAA. Cause I know that that was my idea. And now you're using it just in, a, in an expanded playoff to get to 12. And the other thing that we just couldn't wrap our heads around any of us who were in favor of playoff expansion was the, was the fact that this is all just a money grab for the NCAA. Like you're just printing money. If you have more football games that people are going to tune in for, especially more meaningful football games that people are going to tune in for. They finally realized that. And now it's like, they got a little too drunk off of the, the green that they're going to be printing when they start this 12 team playoff that they're already thinking so far ahead as to say, well, let's actually make it 14 while we're having the conversation. I don't want to see it to get to 14. I want to at least see the 12 team playoff uh, function for a, at least a, a span of years here, like maybe a decade, at least this 14 playoff thing. It went basically a decade, 2014 to 20, uh, 2023. So can we at least see what it looks like first and see if you need to add more? Because I agree with the people who argue like the games get worse and worse the more the, the more lopsided the matchup. I've always said college football is better than the NFL when you get two evenly matched teams against each other. I just have a lot of fun with those games. But when you get two unevenly matched teams against each other, it can get ugly really, really quickly. And I don't think that we need to expand so far that now you're talking about games that just do not matter whatsoever and nobody wants to pay attention to. Like, I don't know what the tipping point is. Maybe there is no tipping point because it's football and we freaking love football in this country. We will eat up any football on our TV so much so that we're watching Maction on Tuesday nights now. They're putting football on Tuesday nights in the middle of the week because they know that we will watch it. So maybe I'm wrong about this and they'll just keep expanding it out and making money and it won't matter. But I do think we should at least settle for 12, see how that goes first before we just jump ship and say, let's add 14. Not on board with it. Not on board with it. Now, another big talking point from college football this week is just this whole, the all the inner workings of what's going on with the NCAA and this lawsuit that has been filed against them in, in, in Tennessee and Virginia where uh, the attorney generals of those two of those states basically argued or, or filed an injunction against the NCAA, um, saying that they it basically is illegally restricting opportunities for student athletes by preventing them from negotiating the terms of NIL deals prior to deciding where they want to go to school. It was filed on January 31st, one day after Tennessee Chancellor Donde Plowman revealed in a letter to the NCAA. The school's athletic department was being investigated for potential recruiting rules violations. Um, so essentially, this is this sets the stage now, um, as I'm sure you've heard talked about already other places, but we haven't necessarily had a chance to dive into it on this show. The NCAA cannot rule on any sort of NIL restrictions or rules violations. Like They can't really investigate those things at this time. They are prohibited from doing that at this very moment. I think there was a few things that Pete Thamel put out that they did uphold in relation to NIL. I, I'm going to try to find that right now so I can sort of read those things off to you. But for the most part, like they basically cannot hear is what they said. The judge's order also upheld three specific NCAA policies that remain in effect and will be enforced by NCAA staff. The prohibition on pay for play slash payment for specific athletes' performances so they can still rule on those things the prohibition of a direct institutional payment for NIL. So they can't, so teams, universities still can't do that. And quid pro quo requirements. 
The proposals related to student athlete pr- protections adopted in January on track for August 1st of, or, uh, for an August 1st effective date. Also, the injunction and the NCAA's response are effective for all Division One. So those are the three things that they can still basically go rule on and make decisions on and, and punish teams for. But they cannot prohibit a team from being like, hey, we got this guy who's a who's a booster. He wants to work out an NIL deal with you. Go get it. Like they can't they can't be prohibited from directing players to do that because, as the injunction said, the NCA if they are doing that, they're preventing student athletes from having the opportunity to earn money and negotiate terms of NIL deals prior to deciding where they want to go to school. And that's the key thing. They're not so so. But but the 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 general thing here from this entire legal process that's going on right now is that many have said this is basically a death knell to the NCAA. It's going to disappear. They have no power. They've been stripped of all um, gravitas. They, 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 they can't do what they used to do. And so fold up shop, throw in the towel on the NCAA. I understand why many of us have come to blows basically with this organization over the years and why we're sick of a lot of the way that they do things. They're very reactive, not proactive. Um, They do stupid stuff like takeaway wins and all this different stuff. And they really haven't had much, uh, much. um, They really haven't had much of a, of a, of a, they really haven't had much power in a series of years anyway. And we've seen it slowly, slowly sort of trickle away. But I, I want to make an important distinction here. The NCAA having power over college football is different than the NCAA as an organization existing. Like, if we want to say that this means they'll have no more say in college football and college football should branch out and do their own thing, 100%, I agree. I think that should almost be the route that this goes. And that's been bantied about for, for years as well, that, that that's what should happen. So I, I'm not saying that that's not where this thing should lead or where this thing should go. But in terms of the NCAA not existing anymore, and if that organization disappears, I think that we're flirting with something bad that we don't even necessarily all fully understand. I think we get stuck in this mindset where the only thing that matters in college sports is football, but even to an extent college basketball. But we forget that there are a number of other athletic programs that are not money-making sports at schools. Now, some schools, like I would imagine Iowa right now is is making good money because they have Caitlin Clark and they're just raking in the dough. So, like, there's other schools that have, like, programs that still become money-makers for them because they get so good and uh, everybody's going out to see that team potentially. There's there's certain schools that baseball might be a money-making sport for. Like, I get that. But in general, most of the other sports are not money-making sports at – any given university. So who governs them if the NCAA just ceases to exist because college football basically um, goes after them in court and renders them useless in what terms of what they do with college football. And that's my problem. I, I, and I don't, this isn't trying to be some like, woe is me. Uh, why is, why can't we just have things the way that it used to be? And student athletes should just be student athletes. I'm not saying that at all. I actually think, there was a line in the piece I was reading about this whole injunction where Charlie Baker basically said that the restriction on recruiting was written basically because the association wants athletes to choose their future schools based on the best educational opportunities rather than where they could make the most money. No wonder the, the injunction was filed. Like 
this that that is still so much like the 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 Mark Emmer Emmer um mindset of well, we want these pe- these players to be students first. I am so beyond the 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 thought process that that has to be true. I get that we want that. We long for that era where they just played for the love of the game and they went to your school and represented you and they were students sitting in your class with you. But those days are gone. Those days were gone as soon as the NCAA started signing these massive TV deals and not letting the players see a dime of the money. We're too, we're, we're, we're too far gone from that. It just ain't happening anymore. So we got to come to grip with the reality we're facing. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with players negotiating NIL deals uh, before they sign somewhere and that being a reason why they maybe choose a school. I don't care. It's no skin off my nose. It's not my money. So if, if they want to do that and that's what it's going to take to lure a player to a certain school, fine. And, and it's the same thing Nick and I have been saying over and over again. These coaches who love to just tout that the NCAA is crooked and it's not what they signed up for or whatever, like with this NIL stuff, I, I, I have no sympathy for you. You either figure it out or the game's going to pass you by and you'll have to go coach somewhere else. That, that's all I got for you. But so, so that's not me doing this. But I do think um, on some level, the NCAA has to exist because you have so many other sports to think about. It's not just college football. And having worked for an a- multiple athletic departments in, in college sports at different levels, by the way, D3 on up to, to D1, I know that those programs just can't – like they need some sort of body that oversees them. Even if we disagree with some of the things that they do, maybe that can change over time and then get better still. But you, if that ceases to exist, and if and, and it's twofold, like if football branches off and they have their own pot of money, I don't know what happens to a lot of these other programs. And that is an alarming thing because as much as our appetite for football and basketball may be the highest, it may be the things that we want to consume the most, you got to think about the opportunities for players who want to go to a school and, and swim. Players who want to go to a school and play golf or play baseball or softball or lacrosse. Like there's so many other sports sports out there that that'll, that provide scholarship opportunities to other athletes or to other students. And those matter too. So I am, I, I, I think the NCAA truly needs to still be an organization that exists and doesn't just disappear entirely, even though some people might disagree with that. And I understand why, um, I just think that the solution to me seems to be, which has been said before, that maybe football needs its own governing body. And if that's the the college football playoff committee or some new committee they formed that branches off of the college football playoff committee, fine. So be it. I, whatever it is and whatever it looks like, fine. But the, the next big scary thing that could happen is if they take the money off of themselves, that again hurts the programs. So there has to be some give and take here. Like, I understand the football players and the teams, like, they want all this money and they want to do all these different things. Um, but on some level, like, they can't they can't kill off the NCAA and hope that they still have an athletic department to that still exists. Because I'm telling you, they also can't take all the – hoard all the money and expect those 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 other athletic programs to exist. And and that's the, that's the problem with all of this. Like, that's the things that have to be worked out um as time kind of goes on here and as this shift in college football in particular takes takes more and more of a stranglehold over the college athletics that we once knew so I, i'm just trying to make a stance on those other sports and those other athletes and i and, and this is that's not to say deprive the football players of their money that's not to say that it doesn't need to change for that sport specifically 
I just think, and it's not to say that NIL shouldn't be a thing. I think NIL, I think NIL is great, but I don't know that everybody understands the full scope of what losing the NCAA as an organization or what football hoarding all the money would, would mean for other schools. Because I'm telling you, there'd be plenty of schools that have to cut programs, cut scholarship opportunities, cut um, opportunities for players in other sports to maybe go, if it's an Olympic sport, like go to the Olympics, like try their hand at something that could still turn into a career for them. And I don't know that we necessarily want to see that happen either. Do you agree that the NCAA is, needs to still exist beyond whatever changes are coming to college football in order to keep the rest of the athletic programs at the, at, at all these institutions up and running and functioning at a high level, even though they're maybe not money-making sports. You can comment on the 92 to the fan YouTube page. You can hit me up on Twitter at Spencito underscore. Let's take another break as we get a word from our sponsors here. When we get back though, finally, we got to address some of the comments that Nick Saban made a couple weeks ago. Also, we'll give you the Michigan panic meter. I got another Michigan topic. I don't know if we'll have time for it. So I might save it for when Nick's back with me next week. We'll see. But I appreciate you guys jumping on in with us. Let's take a break and hear a quick word from our sponsors. We are back on Sons of the Shoe, or I am back on Sons of the Shoe. It's so much more smooth to say we because it's usually a we. It's usually Nick and I, but uh, Nick not here for this this latest episode. But we appreciate your your listenership as always. We talked about some good things throughout this uh, first 35 or so minutes together. And we got one last segment for you here. I, I, I know we've just kind of been blanketly saying Michigan Panic Meter hasn't changed. Michigan Panic Meter hasn't changed. But if we have any new listeners, I think it's important we flash it up on the screen. We explain the Michigan Panic Meter to you. So basically the Michigan Panic Meter is a meter that Nick and I use to assess – our panic level, Ohio, other Ohio State fans' panic levels in relation to Michigan and where they're at. Now, when they were winning a national championship, we were both pretty deep in the in, in the scarlet side. The scarlet is kind of your higher level panic. And then when, when Ohio State went on this rampage they did of signing all these guys and making all these changes, we have shifted more into the gray side of the scale, which is more, more timid, a little more calm, not so – or timid is the right word – uh, a little bit more subdued, not as worried about the, the the situation in Michigan. And so for several weeks now, we have largely been in the dark, dark gray side of the scale. I can tell you as I flash this up on the screen here for our YouTube viewers or, or, or um, followers, staying in the gray. It is staying in the dark gray, no shift, uh, nothing that alarms me about Michigan at this time, despite Sharon Moore. Um, sort of having some uh, some some trash talk of his own to throw back at Ohio State, saying that they'll settle it in November in terms of the the matchup between those two teams. But uh, we're a couple weeks removed from that. I actually, I, and I said this to Nick a couple weeks ago, I am kind of mad at myself for being so deep in the gray that I have no room to wiggle after the spring game. Like if the spring game goes off without a hitch, now I have nowhere to go. I just I just keep it there. We got there's got to be something that makes me change it a little bit this offseason. So we'll see if if anything comes to be. But for now, not panicked, feeling good. First 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 week of December or no December. First week of March and I'm sitting pretty right now in terms of my my panic over uh, over Michigan which is basically nil at the moment despite coming off a national championship season. All right. The last thing before we get out of here and I know we've kind of teased this several times and never gotten to it. So 
I'm just going to talk. I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase and talk to you about it here now. A uh, couple different things that, that Nick Saban said that were interesting a couple weeks back. The first thing, which I found interesting, um, well, let's start with the, the, the maybe larger scale one, and then we'll get to the, the, the less important one at the end. But the larger scale one was just his commentary on whether uh, he, he had, he basically said if his voice can bring about meaningful change to college football, he wants to help in any way he can. Uh, he said he loves the players and he loves college football. And what, I, what we have now is not college football, not college football as we knew it. You hear somebody use the word student athlete that doesn't exist. And he kind of goes on to give that same spiel that you've heard from other coaches about like education matters and, um, you know, the impact of college football is more than just on the field and, and some of these different lines that these cliche lines that these coaches are delivering. Now, I want to make this clear. Nick and I have both agreed that all of this, this frenzy over college football changing and coaches saying, this isn't what I signed up for and all these different things. All of that has to do with not having control anymore. And yes, I think a lot of these coaches are leaving and fleeing because they're like, well, I don't have control anymore. I don't like it. This isn't what I, I want. Okay. That's fine. That's their prerogative to leave with them if they want to leave. But I think when Nick Saban says these things, and maybe this is going to come back and bite me in the ass and Nick's going to rip me for it. But when Nick Saban says these things, I tend to kind of believe them more. Why? I think the simple answer as to why is just because Nick Saban, I, I, I think the proof is just in the pudding, if I'm being honest. Like, he's the guy who. He's the guy who, after a bad game by two players, he's sitting there saying, this guy and this guy, they did a tremendous job and, and sort of supporting them. He's the guy who got got into the uh, – I forget who it was who, who was – I don't know if it was Holly – I don't think it was Holly Rowe. But whoever it was who was asking the questions after that game was Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungvaloa. And whether or not he was – like who he's going to start. And he said, I'm not going to tell you, so quit asking. Like, he's the guy who defends his players wholeheartedly. I also think – coming back to the point of the proof is in the pudding. It's not just about the championships and that clearly guys were bought into, well, he does things the right way. I think it's also frankly, just about the fact that Saban, um, like these players that go through his system, they go to the NFL and you can talk to them about their days at Alabama. I just did this with Amari Cooper several weeks ago uh, when the, when the retirement announcement was, was made. I talked to him about like the impact that Nick Saban had on his life. So I think that you hear these players talk about how he became like a father, like a second father figure, and he meant so much to me, and, and he had my best interest in mind. Like it's it's more than just football. It's always been more than just football for him. And so I do believe that – I think two things can be true with Nick Saban. I think he can have kind of run scared from college football because it's not what, he used, what, what, he, what he's used to. Like he said in the quote that I read you, I don't think he liked it very much like some of these other guys. He doesn't like the changing tides. He doesn't like NIL being a thing. It's all just too much, and he's losing a lot of the control that he used to have. So, yeah, he's he's probably sick of it and wants to, wants to move on. Fine. I also think that it can be true that Nick Saban, maybe even more so than other coaches, I trust that he actually does have the, the player's entire experience in mind when he does these things. Because another quote he had in this, in this piece – is he thinks the consequences of this current landscape of college football could come down the road when some of these guys get to 28, 29 
and maybe they didn't prepare themselves for what life looks like without football. And that is a legitimate problem. I mean, the NFL stands for not for long, right? We always throw that out there as a, the cliche sort of joke about the NFL, but it's a real, it's, it's not a joke to a lot of these players because they get to the league, they spend maybe three, four years in it, and then they fizzle out because they're not these top tier players. We only remember the top tier players, but we forget about the guys who get lost in the in the shuffle. And if those guys don't have a career path to to pursue or or have that education that that the opportunity to go to a Bama or any of these schools affords them, then yeah, like they can be left holding the bag. Like that is a legitimate thing that is happening to these players. So no, I'm not saying play for the fun of the game, be student athletes again. Let's go backwards. I've made that clear numerous times throughout this episode, but I just do think that. In that era, Nick Saban was one of the better people and more trustworthy people when it came to having the big picture for these players in mind and truly helping them in that. So when he says these things, I believe him. I believe he does want to be an advocate for the game and help figure out the the right way to structure some of these things so that players aren't getting taken advantage of. Because I still stand by, I think the transfer portal is actually more dangerous in some ways than what NIL is. NIL is NIL. They deserve a chance to make money. But the transfer portal... Guys can't finish their educations if they if they so want to because they're jumping school to school. They don't even have a chance to, or credits don't transfer over, or whatever it might be. Um, you get lured into the transfer portal because bad actors are telling you, hey, we can get you money at this school, and then maybe it doesn't come to fruition, and you're, you're stuck holding the bag looking for a, a place to play. There's a lot of reasons why the transfer portal can almost go too far and and, and be taken and, and, and allow players to be taken advantage of. And I don't want to see that happen either. So there's got to be some balance to these things. I don't have the blueprint for that. Nick Saban doesn't even have the blueprint for that. But I think his point is if he can actually be a, a voice that helps this this changing era and, and stabilize it a little bit, I think that's that's probably good. And and I do, like I said, trust him more than maybe others. And when he says these things that he wants the players, the players to get paid, which he did make clear, but he also thinks that there's ways to – clean it up a little bit. And I think that's that's probably a good way to go about it. I don't think the iteration we see right now is going to be the iteration forever. Um, but I, I do think that the players deserve more power than they've obviously ever had at the table. The other thing he talked about, and this is more a blip on the radar thing, but still something that caught some people's attention. But he made a comment as he joins the college game day crew that he is never going to pick against Alabama. And I'm curious your guys' thoughts. So please tweet me at Spencito underscore Comment on the 92 to the fan YouTube page because I am genuinely curious how you guys feel about Nick Saban not picking against Bama. Understanding that as Ohio State fans, there were some rabid Ohio State fans that literally ran Kirk Herbstreit out of Ohio State because he was too, he wouldn't pick Ohio State enough, which, in my opinion, as somebody who grew up in that sports journalism, um, I guess, umbrella. When I went to school and I studied it and all these different things, I think it's better that Kirk kind of goes in with this objective mindset, doesn't just pick Ohio State because it's his alma mater, and he and he keeps that in perspective. I would want I actually I want Nick Saban to do the same thing, but I think in today's day and age, it feels like fans don't care about that anymore. And they want you to be as biased as possible towards your team if you work there or went there or whatever. And so I find that dynamic very fascinating because I see it differently. I think it's better for him to be the Kirk Herbstreit and have that objective view. It's part of the reason I love Kirk because I think Kirk does a tremendous job kind of playing things down the middle, giving great perspective. But you notice he doesn't pick the games he's calling that morning on game day. So I don't know. I like that. I always try to be like that. And when I'm when I'm working in this world, 
But I understand, and, and it just seems like with the shifting landscape of college football, there's also a shift in the in the way we want our our analysts or our commentators to talk about the sport, and we want them to actually be biased. It seems like that's a true thing these days. I don't know. What do you think? Again, let us know on Twitter. You can hit me up at Spencito underscore. You can comment via the 92 Through the Fan YouTube page. We'll be back Tuesday with another edition of Sons of the Shoe. I'll find out if I'm riding solo or if it's going to be Nick and I back again. But we will do another episode. It will happen, I promise you. And we'll make sure that uh, we cover all things Ohio State and college football when we meet again. I also want to remind you to like, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 92 to the Fan uh, website, the Odyssey app, and be sure on the YouTube channel, 92 to the Fan YouTube channel, that you also comment and engage with us because we, like uh, we do like to engage with you guys. Until next time, we appreciate you tuning in, and as always, go Bucks.